Welcome to the teaching ministry at Crothers Creek Community Church. Well, good morning, C4. Really glad, again, that you're here this morning, and hello to you who are watching or listening online at the cottage or in another place in the world. We're glad you're here. Well, we're now in full swing in our summer series in the book of Proverbs, and so if you've got your Bible this morning, a hard copy, or virtually, I'd love you to turn to Proverbs chapter 2, and that's where we're going to uh, be together as a family today. It was 1960. Many of you here were born, and many of us were not born yet. And a young man had a dream, and he had $5,000 to his name, equivalent to about $35,000 in today's money. And he decided to invest it and become a businessman. And so in 1960, this young man, like many young men and women, started his career. Well, by the mid-2000s, this man was now the wizard of Wall Street. He was the chairman of NASDAQ. He was worth hundreds of millions of dollars, and his company was worth over $60 billion. December 9th, 2008, I don't know if you knew where you were. I have no clue where I was. This famous man I had never heard of, and most of us probably hadn't either, walked into an apartment building sat his two sons down and looked at them and said these words. Boys, everything we own, and here's the exact phrase, is one big lie. Bernie Madoff. Many people still today wonder if the boys were involved and yet most believe they weren't. Can you imagine the conversation? Excuse me, Dad? I'm sorry, our company's worth $65 billion. What? One big Ponzi scheme. As we found out on December 10th, the two boys had to go to federal authorities, sit them down, look them in the eye and say, our fathers just confessed that everything that we have done is actually based on a lie. It's fraudulent. It's illegal. And then can you imagine the pain on December 11th when the two sons had to take their dad and hand them over, hand him over to authorities. Well, the thing went public. The world went crazy. We all watched it on CBC, BBC, CNN, or whatever you stream. They began to do the research, and they thought that the Ponzi scheme began in the 90s, but then terribly they found out, no, no, it was much earlier than that. It actually started probably around 1970 or so. Only 10 years after he had that $5,000, he had decided in his heart as a leader a person of influence, to choose something called a crooked path. How much was lost? Real money, probably $17 billion. Mythology and all of that together, $65 billion. One lie, jobs were lost. One lie, retirements by hundreds or thousands of people are gone. One lie, generations of wealth built up, gone. Houses, cars, savings, all gone. Friends got messed. Family were involved. Strangers all swindled. Companies started collapsing and universities themselves were undermined. But the most dangerous thing in all of this is Bertie Madoff was known for helping out nonprofits. He was actually involved in helping people and organizations just like us. One organization just before the collapse had just invested $8 million, all of their endowment to them, and had to temporarily shut down because they had nothing left. But the most interesting thing I didn't know, so sad is this, not only of course was he 
(laughs) sentenced to a death sentence of 150 years. Not only was he assaulted in jail, not not only are all sorts of people now in chaos, but two years to the day, December 11th, 2010, two years to the day of his arrest, the police were called to an apartment building, a very nice one in New York City. And there they found his son Mark, hung to death. He'd taken his life because he couldn't handle it anymore. He could not handle what his father had done, maybe what he had done, but he could not handle the crooked path. The one simple lie started in 1970 ended up with his suicide. It's when we start asking questions like this, how in the world did I get here? One little lie brought all of that. And so the question as we gather this morning here online is, we only have one life left to live. And the question is, what will we do with it? And before we get really angry in in the blogosphere or in our hearts and say what an idiot this man was, never forget all of us have the choice too. And this is exactly what Proverbs drives home. It is why the book of Proverbs is so needed for every generation of people and every generation of Jesus' followers. Like I said, this is week two in our summer series in the book of Proverbs. Before we dive into chapter two and deal with what we call the crooked path, let me remind all of us this morning what Proverbs is and what it is not. This part of God's word is about skillful, godly living. It is how we live in relationship both with God and others. It is how God meets us in our intellectual, our spiritual, and our moral lives. But like I shared two weeks ago, there are rules to Proverbs that we need to understand because if we choose not to start with these rules, we in the end will get very angry at God or our family or the church, and we may even end up walking away from the faith because of one thing, ready? Unmet expectations. Because we started thinking the Proverbs were something they weren't. Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart in his little book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, Our summer reading this summer reminds us that Proverbs are practical, not theoretically theological. Proverbs are worded to be memorable. They're not technically precise, but here's the big one. Proverbs are not promises from God. They're poetic guidelines for good behavior. How many times, again, as a youth pastor, do I have parents come to me and say, but John, God promised in the Proverbs if I did this, this, and this, my child would turn out okay. No, no. It's a guideline on how to live. It doesn't mean your children are going to obey it. Chapter one was the mission statement for the whole book. It outlined in detail the choice we actually all will have as we read through this book. We've already seen clearly that all of us have a choice. There are two paths, even for Christians. There are over 70 times in the book of Proverbs where the reader is brought to a fork in the road. One way leads to evil. Anger, perversity, makes you treacherous. You become lazy or a sluggard. You become devious, violent. Your life becomes marked by untruth and confusion. The other is founded on relationship with God. It is righteous, it is justice, it is understanding, and it is blameless. But here now in chapter two is the call to begin to learn, to begin to really connect. It is a conversation actually between a dad and his son, And we get to listen in on this honest, frank, loving talk about God, money, sex, people, and eternal life. Really, as I thought about it this week, this is the conversation. I hear guys say all the time, I wish my dad had had the courage to sit with me when I was younger and say this to me. 
I want to honor my dad this morning and thank God for him because he did this as a dad with me. And that's where honor is deserved when a dad does that well. But no matter what your dad did well or failed at, we now as a family get to hear from the best dad, God himself, who chooses to speak to all of us right now as children. So listen to what God is about to say to every one of us. To start, the first thing I learned this week about chapter 2 is it's compacted into 22 lines, which is the number of letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And, And there's a reason for this. It carries the idea of completion or comprehensiveness. It's, it's what we would say in our culture. It's everything from A to what? Sorry, I didn't hear you. A to what? Oh, good. Some said Z. We don't live in Texas, people. <laughs> Queen's English up here. Say it with me right now. Z. Thank you. For the American viewers, you're wrong on that one. Too bad. Love you. All right. A to Z. The point is that much of what's about to be said on these topics is going to be covered in this chapter of the whole book. The first call is for us to listen and not just learn something about us or God, but to actually discover God himself. This relationship will lead to fearing God, which will lead to protection as we live our lives in 2011 and beyond. So Crothers Creek and all who are listening and watching, hear the word of God this morning. Proverbs 2.1, my son, If you accept my words and you store up my commands within you. I don't just want you to listen or to hear. This is not just saying we'll have an open mind and we'll talk about it later. It's so much stronger than this. This is a command. You must store up these commands. You must accept. (laughs) Keeping is equated with attentiveness to wisdom and understanding. You must store up my commands. Commands is the same word used for all of scripture. God's written word must be at the center of of how we react to all-day, everyday situations. We must be people of the book. This has to be within us. This cannot be external. This cannot be facade. This has to be deep. This has to be relational. And this leads us to the idea of positive possession. It actually leads us to an Old Testament idea of temple. As one scholar wrote, this first condition stipulates that the son has to become like Solomon's temple whose inner sanctuary houses the very word of God, unlike pagan temples which housed idols who their worshipers would manipulate by myth or ritual to attain life. (coughs) Solomon's temple and the son's heart has to have the Lord's transcendent moral will in it. And when you submit to this, you get life. In chapter 1, we saw wisdom was calling out in the streets. She was the one that was raising her voice in the very noisy and unresponsive culture. But now in in chapter 2, we begin to see that we're called to search, we're called to call out, we're called to cry out ourselves. Verse 2, turn your ears to wisdom, apply your heart to understanding. And if you call out for insight and cry alone for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure. See, God is always offering himself. God is always trying to help. God is always speaking to bring change, to challenge, to bring freedom. But we must cry out and we must respond. This, by the way, is prayer in its simplest form. Notice the images used here. The first is ear and the heart. The Father requires so much more than hearing and not doing, just listening only. No, no, we need to move to to the heart where we need to act, we have to acquire wisdom. That little phrase, call out, is an active role. 
You must do this, the scripture says to us. It is strong. It is calling out as if your life depends on it. It is really searching like this is the most important thing you can ever acquire. Like the wealth of the world, you must strain. It requires all the strength you have. Verse 3 says desire. Verse 4 says now act. With that such strong introduction... Once again, the author of Proverbs brings us back to the heart of our faith, the heart of our book, the heart of everything that lasts in the now and eternity. See, wisdom is not just about living a better life. Wisdom is actually meeting God himself, and then you become wise. Verse 5, then, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. Remember what we heard in chapter 1, verse 7. It's the fame verse a lot of us know. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. We need to stop all through this series and remind ourselves what the fear of God means. It simply means worship, faithfulness, relationship. It's radically relational. It's fully theocentric. It's all about God and our relationship with him. Real knowledge equals real life change. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Fear is about respect. Fear is about awe. Fear is about love. But everyone, fear also is about terror. When you fear God in a balanced way, knowing that he is close, far, imminent, transcendent, he is judge, king, brother, and friend, then will you want to grow in wisdom. Like I quoted a few weeks ago, one author said, this pursuit is difficult to appreciate in our contemporary culture addicted to one thing, good feelings. Advertisers learned long ago that the merits of a product are not as merely as sexy or appealing as the emotions that you can associate with a product. Well, the same as much is true for much of North American preaching. Much of what you hear online or you hear on television is themes of love and grace that promote good feelings, and that's great. But much of the time it's done at the expense of themes of rebellion, brokenness, and repentance. The problem with that is the fear of God is precisely about turning from rebellion to a teachability before God. Good feelings come by embracing all of reality, including our need to submit to an authority who's greater than us. The life of wisdom is not just a good sense or a list of life principles to make us happy. It is an attitude towards God that influences everything we do. We often shy away, he says, from phrases like the fear of the Lord because we want to say that God is loving, which he is, like a father looking down the road for his lost son, which he does, or a tender mother nurturing his children, which he also does. But that's not the whole picture. We're afraid that speaking of God's mighty reign and his claim on our lives will be alienating to people, not attractive. Yet our enjoyment of that love takes on new meaning when we come to know the one who loves us and the way he wants to be known. As we will see, the fear of God is directly connected to the knowledge of God. This, hear this this morning, is so counter-cultural. In our culture, we look for wisdom and we expect to find one thing. Wisdom, good living tips, a map book, or everyone ready? Chicken soup for the what? The soul. That's what we think wisdom is. But we've already seen that the real source of wisdom is actually God himself, not another book that you can download on your Kindle. If one truly seeks wisdom, they will never ever end up with themselves. They will not end up with religion, philosophy, medicine, psychology, or self-help. And by the way, all of those things are fine. But God is the full source of wisdom. For right living does not just stem from God. It is God. 
That is why God has declared holy. A wise life is one that is lived without sin. <laughs> and out of personal encounter, then we get to see verse 6 for what it is. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. There's a circular experience. Get wisdom, find God. Find God, find wisdom. Or as another wrote, knowledge is not just some intellectual thing that we know about God. It is actually relational encounter that actually engages our emotions and our will. It requires the commitment of everything that you are. Verse 7, God holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those that walk blamelessly. For he guards the course of the just, and he protects the way of his faithful ones. God shields. God guards those that are blameless, just, and faithful. Those that follow wisdom and have integrity and innocence. God shields those that do what is morally correct out of a relationship with God. It's not being moral just to be good or to impress God or ourselves or others. It's worship. It's birthed out of a pre-existent relationship. This is not saying that God only guards those that are perfect. David was called a man after God's own heart. And was he perfect, everyone? No, the amen, no. Job was called an innocent man, but he was not fully innocent. What we're talking about here is an individual or a person whose life continually over time is marked by the will of God. Now, before we move on to protection, let me just say something. Do you see that little phrase, faithful ones, up there? This is, this is very key to understanding all of Proverbs. That little phrase, translated faithful one, one wrote, actually means one thing. Covenant partner. Marriage. It's used to describe those who possess what they say in Hebrew, hesed, covenant love, a love that exists only between marriage partners, between God and his people. Again, if you don't know God through Jesus Christ, who is God fully seen and revealed, wisdom will never fully come to you because you don't have the Hesed experience. You need covenantal love. You need to be in a relationship. And then all of Proverbs happens. You have to say yes to the marriage to get the benefits of the marriage. See, out of that relationship with God in this new life, this wisdom will begin to breed in you something that is unnatural to all of us, a real, heaven-sent, ethical sensitivity it is impossible for us to know God and not be changed by him every day. Many say to me as a pastor, John, I've met God. I know him. I walk with him. But your life is no different than anyone else I meet on the street. The truth is you may know about God or you may stalk God or maybe you've invented a God you like in your head, but you do not know the living God. For where God is, there is life. Where God is, there is transformation. And where God truly is over time, over time, there is profound change. See, we will begin to see the world more and more as God sees it with wisdom. We will see others and ourselves from heaven's view. We will begin to have something that our culture desperately needs. It's called a conscience, which will move us from wrong relationships. Walk with God and see the way life could be and the way it should be. Verse 9, then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart, knowledge will be pleasant to your soul, discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. Now follow this. Relationship with God when it's real and internalized. When God and his word takes deep root, they offer protection. But the question is, from what? What are they protecting us from? What do we need protection from? Well, the answer comes out very clearly here. Remember, there are two paths. 
One leads to life, one leads to death. One grows you in the fear of the Lord, and one in time, or over time, you become a fool. And notice, both examples that we're about to be given are rooted in listening to bad advice that only brings pain, sin, separation, and death. Wisdom, God says, will protect us. Everyone ready? From ill-gotten money, easy, wrong sex, and then wisdom will give us eternal life. Wisdom, verse 12, will save you from the ways of wicked people. For people whose words are perverse, who leave the straight paths to walk in the dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. I love when one person observed this. The danger does not lie in what the men are going to do to the young guy. The danger is in the invitation to join them in the first place. What a great way of describing many of our friends, our family, and truthfully, maybe some of you. Many of us in our heart of hearts say, John, mild addiction's not that bad. Sex without boundaries, it's fine. Pornography, it's natural. Lying is just part of life. You have to do it to do business in this day. Gossip is a great weapon if it gets you ahead. Money, it may not be God, but it sure is good. And it sure can give me things that my mom or my dad or fill in the blank could not. These wicked people say to us, just live for the moment. Slander, get drunk. See how close you can get to the fire and not get burned. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll used to be the old way of saying it. I would now say it is explained this way. John, just escape. It is the most important thing you can do in a crazy culture. It's just too complicated. So just escape and do it at any cost. Video game your life away. TV your life away. Drink your life away. Relationship your life away. Do things in secret or in public. Don't listen to those that may know more than you. Be entitled. Be controlled. Just break the Ten Commandments. Don't you know? God is the real oppressor. Christian, hear this because you've heard these lies. He doesn't really value you. Look at how much you've done for him for so many years. And this is what you get? He doesn't really honor you. He doesn't understand how you grew up. He doesn't understand the pain that he allowed to happen to you. He wants to take love away from you. He wants to take your rights away, freedom away from you. Here are only a few examples of how the above happens. Our response, of course, should be no. Wisdom will save us from self-injury, from becoming wicked, perverse, dark, wrong, crooked, and devious. And by the way, I'm not just talking to people who haven't met Jesus yet or those new in the faith. I'm finding now, as I grow older, that at key times in all of our lives, we all seem to be more vulnerable to the crooked path, where escaping looks easier. These are our dark moments where we think that it's more important that I'm in charge than those around us. It's I over us. It's I over God. It's I over church. Here's some of my observations. Grade 6 through 8, believe it or not, is one of these moments. Grade 12 in university or college is one of these moments. Newly married for the first two years is one of these moments. Married with young children, let me attest right now, is one of those moments. And I've got another one coming in seven weeks. Pray. To the prayer wall, people, quickly, all of you. Never married and not sure why is one of those moments. You've grown up, your kids are grown up, you look at your spouse and say, who are you again? One of those moments. And even some of you that are entering into the winter of your life could be one of those moments. It is at these key moments in our journey, just as humans, when we can leave wisdom in our minds or online, 
or in our hearts when question and doubt, fear, anger, disappointment, lost dreams, unfulfilled desires, crisis, midlife or otherwise, can move from a dangling question mark in the back of our spiritual minds to an idol that takes root. And then one day you wake up and you say, you know what? The wicked got a better deal and I'm done. I'm done fighting the good fight, the crooked path. I just want it for a little while. God says to some of you today, don't you dare go there. It is self-injury that you do not understand. David prayerfully penned these words in Psalm 73 that outline this so well. But for me, he says, my foot almost slipped. I almost lost my foothold. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands of innocence. I love that. When I tried to understand of this, it oppressed me. That's a really biblical way of saying I was really angry and confused. Then verse 17, until I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. Worship, my friends, and wisdom will lead you away from a lifestyle of envying those and living with those that in the end will be brought down by God himself. The wicked do not win in the end. An amen would be good at this moment. They do not win in the end. For there is a judge coming who will expose all things. Well, if that wasn't enough, because I was sort of done at that moment, the father talk is not done. He says it's not just about easy money or bad, bad friendships. Wisdom also helps us run from sexual sin that brings nothing but hurt, pain, brokenness to you, to others, to God. The father at this moment, can you imagine it, looks at his son with passion. He's a boy, now a man, now a father. He understands the struggle. With an intensity, he knows what is at stake. He will come back to this theme multiple times in the first nine chapters. He says to his son in verse 16 these words, Son, wisdom will save you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth, ignored the covenant she made with God, before her house leads you down to death and her paths will lead you to the spirits of the dead. None who go with her attain paths of life. He says, Son, run or you will be seduced by sexually provocative words, by physical attraction, or in our culture, by images vast and accessible from every single device you carry, and there is no boundary to them anymore. Her words and the images are smooth. They are perverse. They are words that make your blood boil, and they will arouse you. Another road again. Once again, the problem is influence. Just like that wicked man, she has left a good path and is trying to get the young guy to follow her. The image here, if you caught it, is like a house sinking into death, into the underworld. This is about temptation. This is about a willingness to operate outside of legal, moral, worship, and cultural restraints. God and our relationship with him and, and your family or, or church all become second chair to passion and orgasm, that five minutes of heaven that really in the end are hell-inspired. Notice how quickly the image of this woman as she runs from love, from faithfulness, from covenant. In scripture here, this iconic idea is the symbol of all unfaithfulness. The father, now almost out of breath, brings this part of the conversation to the close, praying that his son will never go there. He moves from imminence to transcendence, now to the eternal, and he begs and he points and he reminds the son and all of us here today that there are ultimate consequences, good and bad, to wisdom. He says, if you follow wisdom, verse 20, 
You will walk in the way of good people and keep to the paths of the righteous for the upright will live in the land and the blameless will return to it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. In the Old Testament, there was a promise which is connected to these last thoughts. The people of God were given the promised land and God said to them in Deuteronomy clearly, if you keep working on our marriage, I will bless you in ways you do not even understand and you get to stay in the land. But if you walk, I will bring you into exile, which happened, of course, twice. It's not about land for us here physically, but it is our walk and our faith journey with Jesus that's at stake. Let us not walk from the land we already have if you are a Christian. Let us not give up on the promise. Let us not give up on the power or the blamelessness, the path of righteousness, the ways of good men and women who have gone before us. Let us not give up or play or tamper with the fear of God. For if we do, we will become like this picture painted below by the famous monk John Cassian from the third century. Listen to these old, beautiful words from a sermon by a monk who understood this well. Blinded by the seduction of present pleasure, we crawl along the dark and obstructed trails. Our feet get lacerated by the thorns of vice, and I love this, and our wedding garments are now in tatters. And we are not only pierced by the sharp needles of the thorny bushes, but we are brought low by the stings of poisonous serpents and scorpions that lie there, a reference to the demonic. There is no protection for where wisdom is not loved or practiced. There is no protection where wisdom is thrown out back on the streets. Remember, all of this is about self-injury, not about what others do to you. It is saying to you, you don't have to go there. I want to say a few words, and then I'll be done. First of all, to our gathering here, to you that have not met Jesus yet. You're not Christians. You have the title, maybe, but you don't know Jesus personally. You're always welcome here, but I want to say to you, and hear this, please. July 10th, 2011, at this moment, all of heaven right now waits in bated breath to see, to watch if you will finally understand what you were made for, that is to know God and enjoy him forever. You will never find wisdom. You will never live a fully skillful life unless you meet the fountainhead of wisdom. And how do you meet God? Well, there's only one path, one way, and there's only one God and one mouth that gives wisdom. There is only one that has shown us God fully, and his name is Jesus, for he doesn't just represent God. He actually is God, clearing a path back to himself. To meet God, you must give your life to Jesus. You must trust, declare you're a sinner, repent, turn to a place of humility, and then all of Proverbs gets applied to you. These verses are written for you this morning. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God has raised, you from the de- raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You will have relationship. For God so loved the world that he g- did not give. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not die but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but save the world through him. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. See, if you enter into a relationship, then you get to fear God. And you can begin this life-changing experience when God moves into your life, your work, and your family. You will experience forgiveness. You will actually know God, and you will actually hear him. Alan Cherry was reading all sorts of great thinkers. Many of you don't know these names, that's okay. Athanasius, Augustine, Anselm, Aquinas. I don't know why they all have A's, whatever. But Alan Cherry was sitting in Princeton 
a great scholar herself, reading all the great works of our movement. And then she discovered something. And I give this to you as seekers today. This is what she wrote. I noticed that they understood that human happiness is always tied to a virtuous character, which in turn only comes from knowing God. Becoming an excellent person is predicated on knowing God. For these theologians, beauty, truth, goodness, the foundation of human happiness comes from knowing and loving God and is found nowhere else. Think about that. Beauty. Doesn't our world want it? Truth, goodness, the foundation of what the elixir is everyone fights over called happiness is only found in an encounter with the living God. I say to you this morning, meet Jesus and wisdom will be given to you. Meet Jesus, hear the voice of God. Meet Jesus, see beauty, truth, goodness. Meet Jesus, human joy is going to be given. Hope that can never be stolen, bought, or lost. As God cries out to you, the question is this this morning. Will you cry back out to him? Will you call out for insight? Will you cry out for understanding? Will you look for him as silver and search for him as hidden treasure? Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. I'm going to take a moment. I'm still going to speak to the Christian community. But if this is you, pray this prayer. And if you're a Christian, pray for understanding right now. If you're like, I have never met the living God. And if this is you online, wherever you are, do it too. Just pray this prayer. God of heaven and earth, I have not been wise. I have been my own God. I have lived life by my own rules. And I'm done. I embrace Jesus, the Son of God. I believe he's Lord. I believe he died. I believe he's risen from the dead. And I humbly say to you, forgive me. I turn from all the dark things, the crooked paths. Forgive me. What I want in my life is beauty, truth, goodness, real happiness. I ask you to do this in my life, not because I deserve it, but because you're a good, merciful dad. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that this morning, tell someone. Go to a desk, email us, tell a friend, because you have just encountered the living God, and now things will begin to change. But I need to speak to us, the many of us who are Christians. And I only want to say one thing to us this morning. Proverbs chapter 2 tells us about one thing, friends. Protection. To many of us that already know God, please do not take the words this morning as a rebuke. This is love as a good dad who wants us to experience a good life. Notice our relationship with God is central to all of this. Here, God gives us his will. How many times as a Christian have you said, John, I just, I don't know God's will. I just, I don't know. Big Mac, or, you know, like we, we're so obsessed. What to buy, what to go, what universe. 90% of God's will is already given to us. Here it is right here. If you embrace wisdom, you will be protected and shielded from one thing, self-inflicted pain. This is not a guarantee that others won't hurt us. This is not a guarantee that I won't fail you as a leader. This is not a guarantee that your family won't be messed up. But this is a guarantee that if you follow after the living God, you will not have to produce pain and sin in your own life by your own hands. As one person said, wisdom saves us not only from the lies of others, but the lies from ourselves that we might actually heed them and believe that we ourselves are okay 
Wisdom is not innate. It must be learned. And so the question I leave with you this morning is this. How are you doing with your wisdom? How am I doing? How are you doing with the people that you hang out with, Christian or otherwise? Do you always end up being negative, complaining, slandering, gossiping, competing, getting angry? The people you hang out with, are they constantly sexually over the top? We as Christians are called to hang out with everyone. That is absolutely our mandate, but not at the expense of our own souls. Christian or not, how do the people that you hang out with influence you? Because who you are around produces who you are. Are you hanging out with good people? People that love God? Are you hanging out with people that even as Christians, though struggling, are trying to produce things for the kingdom? Or are they complainers? Are you hanging out with people that are angry? Are you hanging out with people that continually spew out things that bring no life? Then you're hanging out with crooked people. God is asking some of you today to draw a line because your soul cannot handle it right now. I challenge you and myself also. How are you doing sexually? If you're married, genuinely I say this. How is your sexual life? I ask you because adultery is everywhere around us. How are you doing with what you watch? What are you streaming online? What are you watching on your iPad? Because it matters in the end. Because as scripture tells us, we must flee. Why? Because our hearts and our souls will go down into the grave. And it says explicitly, we may not make it back. Run from ungodly people that you cannot handle. Run and draw a line and get help from counselors or pastors. Talk to people about your struggles sexually. A line must be drawn. We cannot afford another family to fall apart. We cannot afford another marriage to dissipate. We cannot afford anything more. Do you want to be different in our culture? Stand for sexual purity. And God help us as we try doing this. Amen? God says to some of us, I want to meet you. To others, he says, you are wise. Well done. Keep going. He gives you a hug. To others, he says, draw a line for your own soul. But lastly, and I'm done with this, some of you are very angry right now or apathetic because you've realized you're not the dad. You're not the son. You're the adulteress and you're the wicked people and you still have the title Christian. Well, I have good news for you. There are no stones in my hand this morning. Do you see that? I have very good news. If you were the wicked person, you've become the one that promotes crooked paths to others, if you are now the seducer online or with people, I have good news. God makes people who are wicked and adulterous become the dad and the son. God gives you a chance at this moment to repent, come clean, get help, pray for new life, and one day he's going to use your broken story and you're going to become the dad to a new son or daughter. That is the heartbeat of our movement. And as one of your pastors, I challenge you this morning that if you are a Christian and you've become this, repent for there is life. Repent because there's freedom. And repent because we need your broken story in time so others can be set free. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. And Sarah's going to come. So let's just pray in a posture, whatever you're comfortable, standing, sitting, kneeling, and let's get ready. Jesus, thank you for your word. It is difficult. It is exciting. It is, 
It is hopeful. It is rebuking. It is fire sometimes. So here we are as a group of people living in 2011. We want to be faithful, Lord, but it's tough. So a few things we pray. Number one, for those who've just become followers of you, we as a church just want to say, Lord, guard their new, their new faith. For those who are seeking and haven't said yes yet, Lord, meet them in your time and in their time. Lord, for others among us who are in relationships with family or friends, and it's actually become a very crooked thing, we, we're going to ask this right now. Would you give them the ability just to step back on purpose so their soul can get repaired? For those who are struggling right now sexually with all sorts of stuff, and they're giving in to the adulterous side of things, Lord, we pray that you'd give them safe people to talk about, that confession would be real. We pray, God, that you would show up in rooms and bathrooms, on the internet, like just show up and bring freedom. We pray for people right now that they could be actually in an illicit affair right now, and we pray they'd come clean and have restoration. Lord, prepare this church to be a place of truth and grace. We also pray right now in Jesus' name for those who are doing well, and we pray, Spirit of God, keep them going to do well. And we pray for those who are Christians who have actually become the seducers themselves. And we pray right now that you would send godly conviction, that they would be changed and healed, and they would become some of the greatest leaders in our church, being able to speak profoundly about something called grace again. We just ask that you would seal what's been done. Do your work among us, Lord. We ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all of God's people said, amen. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for being with us today. If you want to know more about our church or give financially, go to our website at www.carotherscreek.ca.